here. It's great to see you guys, and, uh, to, and, and thank you so much for your ministry this morning. That was great. Uh, so it's, it's great to be here um, and to be back in this area again. I actually live in Stratford, so we're nearby, and uh, we'd love to come back, and, and uh, if you'll have us, come back in uh, the springtime and talk about Passover and do a Messiah in the Passover. It's a wonderful uh, uh, presentation of, of uh, the faithfulness of God, and I look forward to doing that. Uh, I'm, I'm married to Michelle, my wife, who's here with me, and, and uh, I have, we have three grown sons, uh, Joshua, Micah, and Zachary. Uh, Joshua was a Marine, uh, and, or is a Marine, I shouldn't say that, you never say was a Marine, right? He is a Marine, and, uh, but he's, he's, he's uh, uh, di- discharged now and going back to school in the GI program. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. And uh, my middle son is, is a, an accountant with uh, Ernst & Young, the accounting firm, and living in uh, New Haven. And our youngest son is in the 82nd Airborne, and he's... Uh, He's uh, in his, uh, into his, his fourth year now with the 82nd Airborne down in Fort Bragg, North Carolina. So, uh, so we come here. Uh, I, 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 no, I'm not from a military background. My father was in the Coast Guard. That's about it. <laughs> I don't know. I, don't know. I, I often say my, my children got their patriotism from me and their toughness from their mother. So, uh, but it's good to be here and, uh, and, talk, and, and share with you about uh, Chosen People Ministries. I invited Mitch Glazer, the president of Chosen People, to come to Beacon Hill Church in Monroe. Uh, and... Um, Make a long story short, he asked me to come and, and become part of Chosen People Ministry. I said no, and and uh, he didn't stop. He kept uh, coming and inviting me down there and coming back up to, to Monroe. And after about three years of that or so, I came to realize that it was God's call in my life to, to go into full-time Jewish work. Uh, and uh, you, uh, we're down. We're we're launching the the only English-speaking Messianic congregation uh, in Brooklyn, New York, right now. There is there are a million Jewish people uh, in Brooklyn. And, uh, and, they're, and, and very religious people. A lot of them are very, there's a very religious community. Uh, about, about a third of the community is, is Orthodox or ultra-Orthodox. About a third is uh, Russian, Russian Jews. There's about 300,000 Russian Jews, in that we, and we have uh, a Russian Jewish congregation. And then we have uh, about, a, about, a, about a third of them are, are more modern Jews, more secular-oriented Jews, like, like I grew up. I grew up in a Reform Jewish home in Newton, Massachusetts. I was bar mitzvahed, and I was confirmed in the temple. And, and, um, but uh, my orientation was much more secular and uh, humanistic. Uh, and then I went to college, and uh, maybe when I come back in the, in the springtime, if I come back, I'll share my testimony with you, because the time is limited here today. Um, and, uh, but a couple, of, a couple things I want to make you know. I am a, a support-raising missionary with a Chosen People. Uh, we have a reverse model for the seminary that, we're, that, we're, that we've started. Uh, the, the, the professors raise their own support. And the building is fully paid for uh, by, by contributors uh, such as you. And, and so we, don't, we charge the students uh, about $100 per credit hour. Now, we are, we, are, um, we are the East Coast extension of Talbot Seminary of La Mirada, California, if you're familiar with Talbot Seminary. So it's a fully accredited school. Uh, and so we charge $100 a credit hour. Uh, they charge $550 a credit hour you know, uh, for them. So we, so we have a reverse model. We are looking for young men and women who feel they have a call to Jewish ministry. Uh, and and uh, we will we will um, supplement uh, their their living and their and their a- academic costs uh, if we are convinced that God has called them to Jewish ministry. We want it, we want this to be a place where we're sending out uh, ministers and messianic uh, Jewish ministry uh, throughout the world, and that's our goal. Uh, so uh, so that's that's part of it. So we're very selective in the in the students that we we bring in. So I'm raising support uh, in order to be able to do that mission and also plant the churches and, and do the work in Southern Connecticut and so forth. So uh, there, there are brochures on the back table. Uh, there's, there's like a, a section of the back table in the foyer. There are brochures there. 
And if you're interested in, in uh, possibly supporting, that'd be great. You can pick up a brochure and fill it out and send it in. Um, there, there's a little, little, uh, little bio of uh, Michelle and I in there. And, there's, and there's a, here's the, um, the part of it, the, the section you tear off and send in. And there's also a lot of opportunities. Please do read the brochure. There's a lot of great opportunities. One of the opportunities that we're offering is uh, this, um, this coming June, June 22nd through July 2nd, I'm leading a trip to Israel. Um, and it's 10 days. Uh, we're gonna, we'll, go, we'll, we'll fly into Tel Aviv. We'll go to the Galilee, spend a few days in the Galilee. We'll go down to the, to, uh, the, the Dead Sea and spend a few days down in that region with see Masada and Engedi and and um, uh, the, the Qumran and the, the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls area, then up to Jerusalem for three or four days and uh, see all the sites in Jerusalem. Uh, you will see uh, Israel through Messianic Jewish eyes. And, and, uh, and uh, I will be leading the spiritual aspect of the, of the trip, and we have a Messianic tour guide company that will be, uh, a Messianic Jewish tour guide company that will be leading the tour itself. So uh, if you're interested, there's a sign-up sheet in the back on the table. Uh, just sign your name, get, just fill it out, and I will contact you with further information. Obviously, no commitment. Just uh, if you want more information, uh, it'll be there. That's June 22nd through, uh, uh, through uh, July 2nd. Um, well, all right, enough of the commercial announcements. And uh, do something that I love to do and been doing for 27 years as a full-time pastor is to preach the Word of God. So let's, uh, let's just jo join our hearts together one more time in prayer, and we'll come to the Word. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to open up your word and to understand the deeper meaning and the application for our lives. We pray that you will use this message, Lord, to change us, to lift our hearts to you, to understand uh, your, your, your work in this world, Lord, and how you have, how you have set the calendar and how you have set the, uh, the agenda, Father, through your calendar. And we just thank you, Lord, that you are at work now. Help us to understand it and apply it and to live by it. And we ask and pray this in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah. Amen. Amen. Let me read to you from the book of Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10. I'll read from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 1 through 4, and then 11 through the end of the chapter. The writer of Hebrews says, The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices, repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshiper would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Down to verse 11. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins, but when this high priest has offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool, because by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies about this. First he says, this is the covenant I will make with them. 
And after that, he says the Lord, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sin and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where there have been forgiveness, uh, excuse me, and where, the, and where there has, these have been forgiven, there is no longer any sacrifice for sin. Praise God. Amen. I have been uh, reading in the book of Leviticus, and um, it's an interesting book. I'm at the part where Moses is, is laying out the, the different sacrifices and offerings that he made for the people. There's the, the burnt offerings, and there's the grain offerings, and the fellowship offerings, and the sin offerings, and the guilt offerings. Now, the sin offerings were, were, were to atone for the worshiper's sin. The burnt offerings and the grain offerings were there for the, to, to consecrate them to God. And the fellowship offerings were for the reestablishing of fellowship or, or communion between the Lord, the priest, and the worshiper. First, the worshiper would have to deal with his or her sin. Then he or she would consecrate themselves to God. And finally, they would reestablish a right relationship between all the parties involved. In this, they were, and, and this they were to theoretically, each time they sinned, to do these things. They were not to be passive participants in this process and all those sacrifices. If you read the text very carefully, it's clear that the sinner is sacrificing these animals. The priest handles the blood and the fire and the other aspects of the sacrifice, but it is the worshiper who is killing the sacrifices. Now, I know that we live in a different age today, and, uh, but still, slaughtering all those animals every time one has to atone for one's sin through sin offerings and burnt offerings and fellowship offerings has to wear on the worshiper, has to wear you down. If you had to sacrifice for your own sins each time that you sinned, you would think twice about sinning again, wouldn't you? It's not hard to imagine the worshiper um, cutting himself a break periodically, right? Not only not wanting to deplete his own herds and his flocks, but not wanting to constantly being destroying the life of his, of his herd and his flocks. Shepherds and herdsmen come to know their livestock. They, they come to uh, have, a, have a relationship with them. Killing them could not have been pleasant all the time. I'm just saying. That's, a, that's sort of where Yom Kippur comes in. These are, the, uh, we're about to enter into what we call the 10 days of awe, beginning on Rosh Hashanah, or, or the, uh, the, what's called uh, currently the Jewish New Year, what we know as the Feast of Trumpets. And on that day, the trumpet is sounded in Israel. And the trumpet is sounded amongst the Jewish people, the, the, the ram's horn, to awaken the people to their need to get right with God. And the rabbis teach now that for the next, those 10 days from this year, it's going to be from uh, September 24th through, uh, through October 4th, those 10 days of, of awe, uh, they, they, people will be examining themselves, or supposedly examining themselves and, seeing, uh, and confessing their sin and, and uh, asking God to inscribe their name for another year in the book of life. That's what, that's, what, that's what religious Jews are thinking. Uh, a lot of Jews aren't thinking anything. 
Uh, they, they're just thinking it's, 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 it's the high holidays and it costs a lot of money to go to temple in the high holidays. Um, that's, that's, this is where Yom Kippur comes in. It's the, it comes the end of the ten days of awe. And it's, a, it's a day of fasting. It's a day of, of, of sacrifice, a day of denying oneself. Clearly, there would, be in, uh, there would be sins in Israel at that time, back in biblical times, that were not sacrificed for during the year, during the entire year. There would be sins that weren't covered. There would be sins that, that were forgotten about. There would be sins that were, that were uh, you know, you know uh, sort of a game played in our minds that we didn't commit. There would be, there'd be sins that, uh, that we, we had no awareness of. Uh, you know, there were 613 laws in the, in, in the Torah, you know, it's, you're bound to break them. Even the best of, 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 uh, of religious Jews break about half of them on a regular basis. It's, uh, it's, so there, there, is a, uh, there, there is a lot of laws to cover and a lot of obedience to do, and, and, it's, and it's followed short. That's where Yom Kippur comes in. Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, covers all of those sins that have not been atoned for, that have not been paid for uh, through, the, through blood sacrifice. You want to know the details of that holiday? Go ahead and read Leviticus 16, 1 through 34, 20, uh, Leviticus 23, 26 through 32, Numbers 29, 7 through 11. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, blood sacrifices had to be made by the worshiper and the priest to expiate, to cover the sins of Israel. Of course, that got um, interpreted or, or uh, over the years as, as, uh, as being less and less severe. But in 586 B.C., what happened? Anybody know? 586 B.C. What? You know, <laughs> the pastor knows. <laughs> you better know. <laughs> 586 B.C., the temple was destroyed by the Babylonians. So, and the temple was the only place to offer sacrifices for the sins of Israel. So now they had no temple. They went off to Babylonian captivity for 70 years, and they had no sacrifice for their sins. It was during that time the synagogue system was developed in Israel. How do you remain a Jew? How do you remain faithful? How do you continue on without a temple sacrifice? And so a synagogue system was de- developed, and study and, and prayer and, 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 giving and doing good deeds became more important than, than the sacrifice itself. When the, uh, the second temple was built, was completed at, at the end of the 6th century, the beginning of the, uh, the 5th century B.C., then, then came the, and then they came to a crashing halt again in 70 A.D. when the Romans destroyed uh, the temple in Jerusalem in 70 A.D. And so this is a day that's remembered. By the way, the temple was destroyed in 586 B.C. and in 70 A.D. on the exact same day. We call it Tisha B'Av, or the ninth day of Av, in the month of Av. It's amazing. Is that the exact same day both temples are destroyed? And, that, and, and Jews remember, religious Jews remember the, that day with, with the weeping and mourning. Since, and it, it reminds us of the, of the prophet Hosea. Hosea said, The Israelites have lived many days without king, without prince, without sacrifice, without ephod, without idol, without a priesthood. And even, not even idolatry. That, that describes that period, you know, when, when the temples were destroyed and there was no more sacrifice, all, all predicted by the prophets. From a rabbinical Jewish perspective, um, since there is no blood sacrifice, 
for the past 2,000 years. They had to come up with something to, to atone for sin. Does anybody know what that might be? They, 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 they said that study and prayer and, and good deeds made up for having no temple and no sacrifice. You see, that blood sacrifice was a critical central element in Jewish worship. And, and, it's, and it's no wonder that we hear of, of the ultra-Orthodox Jews, the very faithful Jews who read the Torah, or at least read the Talmud, and, and, and that, that they, they recognize that there's a need for a temple, and so they're preparing to build a temple. Have you read those reports of, of, of them getting red heifers and, and all the temple implements? To, to, because they know that there's a need for sacrifice. In the meantime, again, most rabbis will, will say to you that it's, it's prayer, it's study, it's doing good deeds that will, that will atone for your sin. But that is, that they're not really sure. And it's, it's not really sufficient in God's sight. It's, it's vague. And they have, no, they have no scriptural basis for it. It's an innovation. They hope that they're going to be, they have no idea if, if their sins are atoned for at the end of the 10 days of awe. They hope, they pray that their names are inscribed in the book of life. There's actually a book of the righteous, a book of the, 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 the wicked, and then there's the middle book. And most people are in the middle book. And, uh, and you pray that your name is written once again uh, in, in the book of life for another year. Prayer, fasting, good deeds, as wonderful as they are, do not atone for sin. This is a rabbinical innovation. Scripture teaches that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Clear and simple. Hebrews 9.22. The Holy Spirit speaking through the, uh, the pen of Moses in the Torah makes it clear. For the life of the creature is in the blood, and I've given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Praise God that we who know Yeshua, we who know Jesus as our Savior, as our Messiah, uh, as, as uh, he is the final sacrifice for our sin. As we shall see, the blood of the Messiah was and is and will always be our all-sufficient sacrifice of atonement. There have, been, there have been no temple or no blood sacrifice for nearly 2,000 years because there has been no need for a temple. There's been no need for a sacrifice. Jesus, the Messiah, was God's final sacrifice for sin. All of those sacrifices were pointing to one great final sacrifice that God himself would provide. It's interesting that, that on, on Rosh Hashanah, the, uh, the, the, there is every, there's a, the Jewish liturgy, the Jewish calendar, every year the story of Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac is, is, is read in, in the temples. The, it's called the binding of Isaac. And, and, and remember in that story, God says, I will provide a sacrifice. That was on Mount Moriah. That was on the Temple Mount that, that that sacrifice was being made. God provided a sacrifice in the Messiah, Jesus. All the sacrifices and sins, of the, all the sacrifices of the past were all pointing to one great final sacrifice to come. The endless sacrifices of animals was always meant to be temporary, a temporary fix, because the problem of sin is far greater than the blood the bulls and goats and rams and lambs could solve, as I read to you from the book of Hebrews. 
for it was impossible for them to take away the sins permanently. Our sin problem was just too deep and too profound and too embedded for those things to work. But we moderns don't think that way. We don't think of our sins as being so profound all the time. Appreciate it very much, that passage read from, from uh, Amos, you know, that, that the, the prophets are filled with the judgment of God and, uh, over Israel's sin. It's a good reminder to us of where we stand. We imagine that we are, by and large, decent folks. Not perfect, certainly, but certainly not reprobate. Until we, since we hear the words of the Torah that the Lord saw how great man's wickedness was on the earth and that every inclination of the, of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all of the time, so much so that God grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. That's from... That's from uh, Genesis chapter 6. Our wickedness fills the heart of God with pain. But we moderns don't grasp that. It doesn't compute in our minds oftentimes. Jeremiah says that our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. When was the last time we thought of ourselves as having deceitful and desperately wicked hearts? Hey, do you wake up in the morning saying, I have these desperately wicked heart of mine. It doesn't work that way, does it? And this is not just an old covenant issue either. Jesus calls us evil. Speaking of his own disciples, as if, about his own disciples, as if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more so does your heavenly Father know how to give, uh, give to those who ask him? And later he says that this evil is organic in us, that it comes out of our own hearts, that, that, these, that these evil, evil uh, desires are, are coming out of our own hearts and our own desires. This truth does not bode well for any of us. For this final sacrifice for sins has been made for us with the blood of the Messiah. In that we rejoice. We rejoice in what God has done for us. You see, we need always to remember our atonement through the shed blood of Jesus our Messiah. Because his blood solves our spiritual crisis permanently. Absolutely permanently. I was in Pompeii in Italy. Anybody ever been there? Ever been to Pompeii in Italy? It's, 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 it's this uh, town uh, in, the, in the shadow of Mount Vesuvius. And you can't... You, you, it, it, was, it was buried under 15 to 20 feet of ash for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. It wasn't, it, it wasn't until... Uh, 1599 that, that it was discovered. It's, it was destroyed in 79 AD. But it wasn't until 1599 that someone realized that there was a city buried under 15 to 20 feet of ash. I'm not talking about a town. I'm talking about a city. It was huge. I was surprised at how big Pompeii was. And, and, and then, and then in, in uh, 1748, a Spanish engineer named Al Caberi uncovered the, the, the scope of this amazing place. What was interesting about the destruction of, of uh, Pompeii was the fact that the people of Pompeii had no idea of the danger that they were facing. There had been a pretty serious earthquake that happened uh, in Pompeii about 17 years earlier, but no one connected the earthquake to the volcano that, that towered over their town. 
And, all, and, and they never and they didn't even connect the earthquake to the, the, the activity of that volcano as it, was, as it was sort of smoke was coming up out of the, the top of the volcano. Almost to the very day of, of the eruption of the volcano in 79 AD, no one had any idea what they were facing. There was no history of it. There was no under, understanding of it. This was a pre-scientific age. This is the way it is for most of us, most of mankind. Most people don't think of themselves as being in a position of being in danger or, or of, of, of God's judgment in their lives. To us, we are basically you know, good people, and we expect to, that everything's going to turn out okay. Remember, I thought, used to think that. Did you used to think that before you came to know the Lord? I'm basically a good person, you know, that... That, you know, if anybody gets it, I'm going to get into heaven. If there's a heaven, you know, I'll get in. That's sort of the way I thought about my life. Like the people of Pompeii, we don't generally see ourselves in the kind of danger that we really are in. But if you look closely at the biblical language regarding our standing before God, it gives a different picture. I did a study on the blood of the Messiah, the blood of Christ, and was amazed at what the implications were about that. But what that blood achieves for us indicates the kind of peril that we were in as, as unbelievers. For instance, in Romans 3.25 says that the blood of the Messiah was a sacrifice of atonement. That means that Messiah's said blood propitiated, satisfied the wrath of God for us. It says in the scripture that we were the objects of God's wrath. Did you know before you were saved that you were the object of God's wrath? I didn't. I didn't know. Matthew 26, 28 and Ephesians 1, 7 says we are told that the blood of the Messiah achieves for us the forgiveness of sins. That means previously we were unforgiven of our sins. I didn't know that. I didn't understand that. I thought I was a pretty good person. I thought that God would accept me as I was, that nothing else needed to happen. It turns out that I needed the blood of the Messiah applied to my life in order to have the forgiveness of my sins. Because of, and, and my distorted assumptions wouldn't change any of that. Now Romans 5.9 says, says that we've been justified by his blood. That means that we have been declared not guilty before God's holy bar of justice because of the blood of the Messiah. We were defendants in the dock. And, we, and, and, the, and the charges against us were true. And we had no defense. We had no argument. We couldn't stand in God's court of, court of justice. God was our judge, and he was ready to pronounce us guilty as charged. But because of the blood of the Messiah, all that had changed, all that has changed for us. Our advocate, Jesus the righteous, pled his shed blood before the Father, before the court of God's justice, all of, our crimes, all of our crimes were laid before him and, and it was covered by the blood of the Messiah and we were declared not guilty because of our sins had been paid for through his shed blood. We were declared not guilty, declared righteous in his sight. But it even gets worse about our condition Ephesians 1.7 says that we have redemption through his blood. Now that's a word borrowed from the slave market. God has brought us, out of the, out of the, brought us out of the slavery of sin and 
death, with the slave price, the blood of Jesus the Messiah. Now we are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer slaves to the fear of death in our life. We are free from the condemnation of the law. And we're now able to follow the Messiah Jesus in righteousness and holiness. God has bought us with an incredibly great price. So by all rights, we owe him everything now in our life. Amen? We owe him everything. We owe him our lives. We owe him our loyalty. Folks, apart from Christ, we are the prisoners of sin. But now, Revelation 1.5 tells us that in Messiah, we have been freed from our sin by his blood. And now, instead of being prisoners to, to sin and to fear and to death, John tells us in, in Revelation 1.5, he has made us a kingdom of priests to serve Christ and our God forever. But we were not just any kind of prisoner. We were actually the prisoners of war. We were actually enemies with God. Does anybody here think that ever thought of themselves as being an enemy of God? That was the farthest thing from my mind. I didn't think I was God's enemy when I didn't know the Lord. Did you think that? I didn't think it. I never imagined that God was even aware of me or that he was concerned about me in any way, shape, or form. But the Bible says that we were at enmity with God, in active or passive rebellion against God. So Romans 5.10, it says that we were at enmity with him. But God loves his enemies. And Paul writes, by the blood of the Messiah, he has made peace with us. Colossians 1, 19 and 20. By the blood of the Messiah, he has made peace with us. He has reconciled us to himself by the blood of Jesus. So now we do not need to cringe before a holy God or avoid him in any way, shape, manner, or form. Rather, Paul says, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus, the Messiah, who, through whom we now have reconciliation. What a great word reconciliation. We are now on God's side. We are now at peace with God. We used, and, and, and God now want, has, has set us aside for great purpose. You see, God has great plans for us now. Now that we've, had, we've been forgiven and reconciled and, and, and set free and all those things, now God wants to use us. Now he's got great purpose for us. You see, we used to be common we used to be ordinary. We used to be nothing special. But because of the blood of the Messiah, we've been made holy in God's sight. We've, made, we've been set aside for sacred purpose, for sacred use. That's why the world can go out there and do anything they want to, but we can't. Because we've been set aside for sacred use and for sacred purpose. Hebrews 13.12 says that Jesus makes the people of God holy through his blood. Did you know that? You were made holy through the blood of the Messiah Jesus. Now you may not think that you're holy, but in God's sight, because of what Jesus has done, not because of what you do, because what Jesus has done for you, he sees you as his holy, beloved sons and daughters. That's an amazing, that, that's a reason to smile. That's a reason to rejoice. Is it okay to rejoice here at uh, the Newtown Bible Church? You bet it is. <laughs> you bet it is. There should be smiles everywhere now. 
And, and the reason we can smile is because we know the bad news. And, I, and I, I, again, I appreciate what, what, what your pastor is doing here. He's showing you the bad news so you'll appreciate the good news and all that we have in the Messiah. It's awesome. That means that we are now set aside for noble and sacred purpose that God has for us. Before we had no eternal value whatsoever, now our lives are pregnant with value. We're filled with value. God has great purpose for our lives. You may, not, you may be sitting here and saying and not believing it and not understanding it, but that's the truth of the word. And let me tell you something. You are not what you think you are. You are not what other people think you are. You are what God says you are. That's who you are. Now, we are his sacred workmanship. Created in the Messiah Jesus to do good work which God has prepared in advance for us to do. Did you know that? The Bible says, and I believe it, and you should too, that, you, that he has prepared in advance work for you to do. Ministry to perform. Service to offer. We are now a kingdom of priests set apart to serve God in this present age. And to make sure we do so with the, uh, in, in the freedom that he has given to us. Once again, God employs the blood of the Messiah. He knows that we are not perfect. And that we will easily get discouraged in serving him because of our failure and our brokenness and our sin. Folks, we, we, do you believe in the fall in, in Genesis 3? I do. <laughs> we all fell. We're broken. We're broken vessels. We're, we're cracked pots, as it were. That's what happened to us. That's why, that's why our lives are always sort of unsettled. Even with, the, even with having Jesus in our life, there's an unsettledness in our lives because we're in a repair mode here. Jesus has come in by, uh, into our lives by his Holy Spirit and is doing a reclamation project in our lives. And that reclamation project gets kind of messy. Ever done a, re- ever, ever done a reclamation project? Ever, ever you know, do, you know, re- restored a home? Whatever, we just, we just took an old Jewish mortuary in the middle of Orthodox Jewish Brooklyn and turned it into a state-of-the-art seminary. It's gorgeous. What used to be a bloody bathtubs full of, of blood, of the, the dead corpses now, is, is full of classrooms and, and dormitories and chapels and, and, uh, and, and this incredible place in the middle of Orthodox Jewish Brooklyn. God, God took the, the, the dead thing and, re- and reclaimed it and brought it to life. Amazing. And God's doing that in our lives as well. He's reclaiming us. He's restoring us. He's building us up. But there's going to be brokenness all along the way, right? There's going to be, there's going to be sin. There's going to be failure. There's going to be hurt and there's going to be wounds. How can God use broken vessels like us? God's answer to that question is, guess what? The blood of the Messiah. The blood of the Messiah, Jesus. How much more Will the blood of the Messiah cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? Did you catch that? Let me do it again. Hebrews 9, 14. How much more will the blood of the Messiah cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve, underline serve, the living God? The blood of the Messiah was shed so the believer in the Messiah could serve God daily with a clear conscience. God doesn't want miserable Christians out there. 
He wants faith-filled, joyful, peaceful, shalom-filled Christians who are out there touching lives for the good news of the kingdom. Without the Messiah's blood, our sins would be acts that lead to death. Now, with his blood applied to our lives, those acts have been forgiven by that same blood, and our consciences have been washed clean, been made clean. We are freed from the condemnation of, of, uh, uh, that our sin would normally bring about us. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in the Messiah, Jesus, right? We've been, that, uh, that blood has cleansed us from that possibility. Why? Because the writer of Hebrews tells us straight, so that we may serve the living God. God wants us healthy and strong and vibrant so that we can serve him in this life with a clear conscience. Guilt kills joyful service. Amen? Repeat that. Guilt kills joyful service. God wants you joyful. God wants you filled with with peace and joy in your life and hope in your life. God removes that guilt by the blood of the Messiah. All gone. Wash clean. Baruch Hashem. Praise His name. And now, able to serve God with a clear conscience through the Messiah's blood, we are dangerous to the forces of evil. We are dangerous. God has not called us to His service to lose. Once we were the biggest losers. Once we had a big fat L on our forehead. But now, through the blood of the Messiah, Jesus, we are victorious in the battle. John writes in Revelation 12, 11, that the saints of God, that is us, triumph over him, that is Satan, by the blood of the Lamb. We triumph by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. Did you know that? Did you know that the blood of the Messiah and the word of our testimony in the Messiah triumphs over the power of hell and evil in this world? Any blood-bought follower of Jesus can crush the enemy of our souls under his or her feet. You have that power. People come to, to me as a pastor over the last 27 years to cast out demons in their lives. You guys you know, do exorcism? And I tell them, you don't need me to do that. You can do that yourself. You have the power to do that. Just claim it in Jesus. You have the power because the blood of the Messiah and the word of your testimony, you can crush the enemy under your feet anytime you want to. I'm glad to help you. I'm your pastor. I'll be glad to help you. But you can do it yourself. It's all there. You don't need me. You don't need a priest. You are a priest. That's what it says. We're a kingdom of priests. You are a priest. You don't need a champion. The Bible says you are more than conquerors through him who loved you. Why do you need a champion? You have a champion in Jesus. You are now more than conquerors because of him. On the cross, when Jesus' time to go had come, when the time was right, he cried, I am thirsty. At that, he was offered a sponge filled of wine vinegar. He received it in fulfillment of Psalm 69, 21. They will put gall in my food. They gave me vinegar to drink. That was it. 
the last of the prophecies to be fulfilled in his earthly life. It was a signal to Jesus that all had been completed, that all had been fulfilled. So we were told by Matthew and Mark, he let out a loud cry, Telestai! Telestai! It is finished. It is finished. That was not a cry of despair. That was not an admission of defeat. And it was not just an announcement of his imminent death. It was a declaration of victory. It is finished. Salvation has been accomplished. It's all done. It's all over. Sin and hell and death are about to be defeated totally and completely through the resurrection. The work of redemption is now done. His mission was accomplished. Victory had been secured. Sin had been paid for. The power of death and hell were broken. He's fulfilled the law and the prophets and the writings. He had paid the full price for our sin. Jesus, the victor. Jesus, our atonement. Jesus, our king. And guess what? He now gives us the victory. We have received the victory. When he, through his victory and shedding his blood, becomes our victory over the penalty of sin, over the power of sin, and one day over the very presence of sin in our life. Now says Rabbi Saul of Tarsus, the Apostle Paul, he says, Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Praise God. We're about to come to the table now and take the elements, the bread and the cup. But please... Please, please, see, this is no ordinary table. This is an amazing table laid before us. It's a table of reconciliation. It's a table of forgiveness. It's a table of declared righteousness. That's your righteousness, declared, not guilty before his holy law. It's a table of spiritual freedom that you have now in the Messiah, of peace with God and with others of purpose and meaning and mission, a, a table of shalom, that inner sense of well-being that God wants you to live your life fully in. It's a table of that. It is a table of victory. His finished work has been imputed to us and received by our faith. God now gives us the victory through our Lord, the Messiah Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's come to the table. Let's remember, as we come to the table, this is no ordinary table. It's everything to us. Come and eat. Come and drink. Come and celebrate your salvation. Let's, uh, let's pray. Let me, let me pray. Actually, let me, let me read the, the words of, of institution first. Reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23. 
For I receive from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this incredible table that you've set before us. As has been mentioned earlier, Lord, a memorial, Lord, of all that has been accomplished for us through your death and the shedding of your blood, through your suffering and your, and your, and your death. We are amazed, Lord, that you would do this for us. It's, it, it is going to astound us for all eternity, Lord, that you would be willing to love so deeply beings who have, have rejected you and turned away from you or, or passively didn't care about you in their lives. Thank you for not ever giving up on us. Thank you in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our rebellion, in the midst of our in, uh, indifference, you were not indifferent to us. You came and you died for our sins. You paid the penalty. You showed us how to live, and then you died for us in our place so that we would never have to die for our sins. You, you endured the rejection of the Father at, at the cross when, when you cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you turned your back on me? He did it for, you did it for us. He did it for our salvation so he would never turn his back on us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you, Father, for sending the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for, for uh, your presence right now, for your, your powerful move in our hearts and our lives. Speak to our hearts now. Help us to realize the richness of all that we have and to live our lives in light of that richness. We thank you and praise you and ask and pray all these things in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus, the Messiah of Israel and the Savior of the world.